On today's episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast, we're going to be talking about a recent show that just wrapped up a few weeks back, Keep Your Hands Off Azokan, uh, TLDR. This show is pretty amazing. Before we go into the discussion itself, let's sort of introduce ourselves. Uh, I'm joined today by our resident gremlin, Tori. Hello, I'm here, and I'm going to finesse the system to make an anime. And we've also got our model-turned-anime fan, Sully. You think I'm pretty enough to be a model? Why, of course you are, Sully. <laughs> and we've got our uh, uh, off-contributor and Tanuki of Midshelf Gaming, Edwin. You know what? My favorite Tanuki is Mario, but now, with Aizoken coming out, it might change my mind. Might. Just might change your mind. Just might. And I am Tobias, the bearded old man who likes to think that he's uh, guiding these youngsters, but really he's just playing video games in his car. <laughs> so we just recorded an episode on B-Stars recently, so Tori and I, we kind of talked about what we've been doing on that episode, but Edwin, we haven't heard from you in a long time. What, uh, what have you been up to, dude? Um, you know what, with this whole corona crisis going on, I've had a lot of free time, so decided to put my hat towards contributing towards more episodes and then with my own YouTube channel with Mitch Elf Gaming and also trying to churn out some episodes now that I have this much free time that I know I won't have in the in the near future. And I think you guys just put out an episode too for Mitch Elf, right? We did. And we're currently working on our next episode as well. What's the uh, episode you just put out? Uh, we just put out, it was Arcade Classics on the PS1. Okay. And we're working on a Final Fantasy episode. Oh, okay. So stay tuned to that. Definitely have to check that out. Uh, Sully, what about yourself? What have you been up to lately? So I had been complaining about how I would probably not have anything close to a social life unless I got Animal Crossing because I actually never have, I never got into it when I was younger. Um, and then one day I open up Discord and Tori has sent me a message saying, uh, me, Austin, Ryan, and Tobias got you this, and they had sent me the code for Animal Crossing, so now I can play with everyone. And the ironic part is I don't really have time to, because I've been really busy with trying to reorganize my schedule around the fact the university is closed, and I still have class going on, and I still have students I have to tutor. So I'm hoping that tomorrow... Uh, after I finish my online, like, virtual class, I can sit down and keep playing Animal Crossing, because I've just named my island, and it's a stupid name, but I'm sticking with it. I have a dumb monkey as a villager, and I'm just going to push on through, and I'm going to get that cute house and decorate it and have the apartment that I'll never be able to actually afford in my regular waking adult life. Well, that's really what Animal Crossing is about, is that, that escapism of being able to pay off your rent, pay off your home loan, and do what you want to do in your free time. 
Yeah, and other than that, I've uh, been actually able to watch some anime. I've been watching a lot of Lupin on Tubi. Uh, me and Bill have been watching episodes of Lupin the Third Part 3 on Crunchyroll when we both have the time. And I just finished Azokim, which I started over spring break and finished a few days ago. And it's been a really great kind of respite from all this craziness going off like out in the world. That it is indeed. So, Tori, what have you been doing since the Beastars episode? Um, I have been playing Animal Crossing still. I've got one evening left to catch that sturgeon. I swear it's it's gonna happen. I just gotta threaten to eat the cartridge. <laughs> um, <laughs> that worked for the string fish, so here we are. Um, other than that, I honestly have just been sleeping a lot. Um, the past few days I've woken up at 4 p.m. Um, not on purpose. I just have been very sleepy and... Um, I love to sleep, so I feel like now is the time to get that in and not feel too guilty about it. The past few days, I've also been following along with YouTube workouts. I'm very sore, but just in the few days, I feel like I've noticed a little bit of progress. Like, there were definitely moves on day one that I now can do on day three, so I feel like I've made, like, little baby progress, but, um... I am kind of having that Howl's Moving Castle moment of, like... If I can't be beautiful, what's the point? So I want to come out of this quarantine as a beautiful butterfly. And if not, Big that's okay, too. <laughs> it's really funny seeing all the comments on these workout videos that are like, uh, who else is doing this during quarantine? Who else is going to come out, you know, looking great after quarantine? And um, I guess that's as, as positive of a distraction as one can do. Yeah, that's been on my mind, too, with... Um right before all this went down i went to go get a gym membership and got to use it once Mm -hmm. (laughs) before the stay-at-home order so uh yeah i've been trying to come up with things to do because i do find myself sitting around the house not really doing much get ring fit oh god that game's so brutal (laughs) you know i i I was gonna do that but it's sold out everywhere Mm -hmm. i cannot find a copy in greensboro and online it's like 150 200 bucks It's really expensive now for some reason. Like, I lucked out and got it at Christmas. I've also noticed that with the uh, boxing, like the fit boxing or whatever, it's like now $70, $80. Because it's sold out everywhere. Yeah. Everyone have the same idea. Let's just work out at home. Hey, now, I'm still rocking that Wii Fit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, how's that working out for you? When's the last time you booted that game up? Like a month ago. Okay, so not too long ago. Still rocking like it's 2009, I see. Well, and uh, as for myself, um, yep, we just finished up Azokan. We watched Beastars last week. I caught a documentary on Hulu called Lo and Behold, which is about the internet, both the inception and the culture that spun around and the impact of this technology on our society. Hmm. Just kind of randomly threw it on. And it's, it's directed narrated by Werner Herzog, which was also kind of interesting, something that made me you know, gravitate toward it. And uh, I would say it's a well-put-together documentary, about an hour-and-a-half, two-hour movie length, and uh, it certainly introduced a lot of thoughts that you don't think about on the day-to-day you know, grind, social media grind, about how this has fundamentally changed us as a species. And, yeah, I found the whole thing really compelling, so uh, you definitely check that out if that's something that's up your alley. 
All right, so we're going to the meat of the, the episode now. Let's talk about uh, Keep Your Hands Off Azokan and this wacky show. So right off the bat, the word Azokan, as they don't really explain that directly through the show. It's just Movie Research Club. And uh, I guess they decided to keep that word as Japanese to make the, uh, the title stand out more. Because, you know, Keep Your Hands Off the Movie Club doesn't really have the same sounds weird <laughs> doesn't have the same doesn't stick in your mind the same way Zokin does not a very sh- good shorthand title this was created january of this year just wrapped up like i said the first quarter of 2020 uh, by science saru a fan favorite of ours the show was directed by Masaki Yuasa, who really needs no introduction at this point. He's directed a number of works over the past few years that we've talked about on the podcast, be it Devilman Crybaby from 2018, or The Night is Short, Walk On Girl, that we did an episode on with the awesome cast crew, or even the more recent Ride Your Wave, which we may get around to reviewing once the home video release comes out. Uh, well, it's very easy to focus on Yuasa himself. There's a number of other people that contribute heavily to this show. Uh, the character design for Aizoken is now Yuki Asano, who also did the character design for the newer Osomatsu series back uh, in 2016 and onward, uh, as well as the Saint Young Men adaptation. Uh, Asano also provided key animation on uh, Michiko and Hachin, Taikon Concrete, and the girl who left through time. And uh, another important part to this show would be the background and the general art direction. Uh, that was provided by Masanobu Nomura, who also did background art for The Big O, Magical Shopping Arcade of Benabashi, and uh, one of the One Piece movies, uh, Baron Amatsuri and the Secret Island, uh, which uh, Mamoru Hosoda directed. Uh, Nomura also is the art director on the uh, TV series Little Witch Academia, as well as the upcoming Brand New Animal. Uh, next we have the Mechanical Design by Kinji Maeda, who did a few of the in-card illustrations for this series as well, as well as providing animation for the ending. And uh, lastly, I briefly mentioned Eun Che, but in this role she served as the producer. And uh, Che has been with Science Saru since its inception. She's worked with Yuasa since uh, Kimono Zume in 2006 and has been all over the board as far as her role. She's not just an animator and not just a producer. She's done a little bit of everything really in her career. And uh, here we see here in a lot of ways mirror uh, the character Kanamori from Azoka. And uh, she's really just focusing on the producing role and keeping everybody in line and making sure all the work gets done. And the series is a, an adaptation of a manga work by Sumito Owaru, who Aizoken um, would be his first series. Wasn't there a quote of Yuasa being like, I want to animate that, I'm going to do it, and then now we have the anime adaptation yeah so funny story about that uh yuasa was name searching himself that's right <laughs> and somebody was like who was a fan of Azoka and was like you know what i want yuasa to do this he would be a great fit for this <laughs> he's like yep you know what done sold 
Let's do it. That's really funny because I feel like that is the golden rule of being a content creator is that you don't name search yourself <laughs> because it just doesn't seem to be good mentally healthy thing to do. Um, and it just reminds me of, you know, in our otaku mentories episode where Higurashi man's mother would like screen his comments and delete all the negative <laughs> ones. Exactly. Exactly. You know, sometimes, sometimes you do that and... Yeah, it's not always mentally healthy, but I think in Yuasa's case, I don't really know people that really hate Yuasa. You know, his style doesn't really resonate with people. He just seems to be a person who wouldn't care. Exactly, yeah. Um, Takes it in stride. Especially if you keep up with his online presence. He just seems very like a go with the flow type person. Like that tweet that was going around where he was just like, hey, stay the F home. And somebody replied like, don't say that. That's a bad word, sensei. And then his reply back was, oh shit, I'm sorry. (laughs) I did see that. That killed me. I was like, yeah, it's a very me thing to do. I just thought it it gave me a good laugh when I needed it. For me, Yuasa is the anime equivalent of Hideki Kamiya, where they just go with the flow, do whatever they want. Yes! Oh god, except he doesn't block everybody, it seems. <laughs> Does it for the meme. Um, yeah. Who's the creator of Aizoken who has the the Minecraft account? That's him. Yeah, so mm-hmm. uh, so looking into, into this guy, I, I swore for the longest time that like this is the person that did Dino Coil. Because their Twitter account is like Dino813 or something like that. Uh-huh. I just put the two together. Because Dino Coil, I feel like, has a lot of um, interplay with what the kind of stuff we see visually in Azokan, with sort of this uh, the mm-hmm. imaginary world and whatnot. So, Owara uh, is a very interesting character himself. Uh, so, he sort of grew up uh, moving around a lot. He had a uh, developmental disorder and had a hard time making friends. So he turned to drawing and anime to entertain himself. He's only like, he's about my age. So when he would get into anime in high school, he was watching Haruhi and Lucky Star around that time. <laughs> so we think of, you know, a lot of anime creators are older. And they tend to be into more of like the, the quote unquote classics. But for, for this person being the classics would be, you know, the Harahara Yukai dance and that kind of stuff <laughs> <laughs> from 2006, 2007. That was kind of oh, interesting geez. to me. They actually uh, joined their own Azokan club in high school. So when you think of shows that do anime clubs like uh, you know Genshiken and that kind of stuff, it seems very different than the the anime clubs that we see here and the way they talk about it mm-hmm. here. I thought it was a really interesting take. And uh, yeah, they would later on attend uh, the Tokyo Institute of Art and Design, where they would major in animation itself. Yeah, so I went back to just make sure I had my facts correct, but um, the Tokyo Institute of Art and Design um, has a fairly low admission rate, so I think that's pretty cool that he was able to, you know, go from feeling Mm -hmm. like he had such a hard time keeping up with people in school, um, going from that to be able to be accepted in a school that's a little bit more difficult to get into, I think right. it's like really awesome of him and to see. So Exactly, exactly. And lastly, let's talk about the opening and ending. Uh, of course, the opening had become a bit of a fan favorite over the past few months, both with its animation and its very excellent storyboarding as well as the song itself, which is Easy Breezy by Chalmiko. And uh, Tori, I think you wanted to talk about these guys? I did not know anything about them until I saw videos of the opening, like before the anime came out and right when the anime came out. And um, 
I actually thought the one rapper was a man. Okay. Um, because she has a little bit more of a masculine voice, and I don't mean for that to be insulting at all. Like, I just really dig her voice. Right. But researching more into them, I can kind of read what's written in the notes. Um, so the opening song is called Easy Breezy, if you didn't catch that, you know, because they say it 900 million times in the song. It's a rap duo composed of Rachel Watashiga and uh, Mamiko Suzuki, so they kind of uh, portmanteaued their names together to make Kelmiko. And, um... I kind of like the fact that it sounds like chemical, um, even though I'm not really sure that's what they were going for. It's just cute that they brought their names together. They used connections they had to get them a performance during a music event in 2014. I'm assuming that's how they uh, were discovered and used for this, um, and they released a self-titled album in 2016. The first time I heard that song, I immediately went to Spotify. I think every album they've put out is available to listen to on Spotify, including Easy Breezy. Their music is so good. Like, that's all I listened to for three days straight. Um, And they have a very, much like Yuasa, diverse range. Um, So they'll do, like, super upbeat, feel-good, like, it's summer, I've got my windows down, I'm driving around, I'm feeling good music. And then they'll have, like, slower-paced, kind of, like, almost sleepy-ish rap. Um, So it's very just, like, relaxed, go through the flow, a little more, like, bass-heavy. And I just really appreciate their music. And I think they're about to put out a new album or have put out a new album. Um, and that should be on Spotify as well. But um, I'm really sad I didn't know about them till now because their music is generally really good. And I feel like with most anime artists, um, like they'll have one or two good songs and it's usually the single they made for the anime. Um, except for Lisa because, God, everything she sings is like a heavenly choir. She can make bad anime sound good with the opening. Oh, God, I know. Yes, her and Eureka, but that's neither here nor there. Um, <laughs> go listen to Kamiko. They're really and good. And speaking about Kamiko, their music video, it's a trip. Yeah. I, was, I don't know what I was expecting because, mm-hmm. you know, after I'm watching Izoke and I was like, oh, it'll be like upbeat, just like it. No, it's like a trip. <laughs> but you know what? I wouldn't have it any other way, though. Yeah, exactly. Mm-mm. <laughs> like I really enjoyed the animation from uh, the show, but the animation, the, the the techniques they used in the music video, yeah, really out there. And there's a little, a couple of Azokan Easter eggs in there, the music video as well. Mm-hmm. It was really interesting. Uh, and one thing I noticed when do when putting these notes together is that uh, Watashi ga, sort of how she got discovered was through modeling work, not completely unlike a character in our series. Mm-hmm. I don't think they've. I don't think they've been a group for terribly long. At least uh, under four or five yeah, years. Yeah. So they they, uh, they 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 met each other uh, through mutual friends before, but yeah, the per- per first performance was 2014 and first album 2016. So they've only put out a, a few mm-hmm. since. So yeah, you're right. Not not too too long. Uh, so the animation for Easy Breezy, the opening, is by Abel Gangora and Eri Kuni uh, Kinoshita. Uh, both veterans of uh, Adobe Flash or Animate, whatever you want to call it, uh, working for Science Saru. And uh, Crunchyroll has actually put out a little mini interview with Gongora about the process of putting it together, which I would highly recommend. Uh, he talks a little mm. bit about his love of the, the memes that have come out, uh, like the, the SpongeBob <laughs> version of Easy Breezy, and talks a little bit about how he put this together. Um, the part 
um, where they're all silhouettes dancing against this really flashy background. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is really just a, a short video of a uh, like a sticker, a shiny sticker that he just kind of oh. ran through uh, a flash to sort of make it stand out. Little things like that I think are really interesting when it comes to creating the, the animation. And uh, the ending, uh, the song is by Kamisama I Have Noticed, a band that much like uh, Man With A Mission and Daft Punk only performs a mask. So no one knows who they really are. It leaves that air of, you know, uh, air of mystery to this group. I feel like we've talked about a lot of masked creators lately, so that's interesting to be <laughs> an uprising trend. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. And uh, the song is called Namai no Nai Ao, which uh, translates to blue with no name or anonymous blue. And uh, I feel like this didn't really get enough love as much as Easy Breezy did. And, you know, of course, that song is amazing, but I really enjoyed this song as well, paired with the, the very simple animation that we see in the ending. Some of the animation was provided by uh, Owara himself, actually, through the, some of the rough... Uh, we'll see the animation sort of progresses. They do a simple four-frame walk cycle with the characters, and we see more frames are added and uh, to a smoother run. I thought that was a really nice little touch considering what the, the show itself is about. Asakusa, who is the best gremlin ever. We have Saidi Ito, who was in the Japanese dub of The Secret Life of Pets 2. Incredible. Um, Tsubame Mizusaki, who's voiced by Misato Matsuoka. Um, she was the dance scene assistant in Pokemon, Lucario, and the Mystery of Mew. Um, so is that a character, or did they use her dancing as a reference for movement? Uh, I think the latter. That was She was listed under that as staff, and uh, I haven't oh, seen that movie, but I know that the Pokemon, various Pokemon shows have used real-life dance models and real-life uh, you know, references. So mm-hmm. I, considering Mizuzaki's cool. character, that makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. 
Um, we have Sayaka Kanamori, or Kanamani, as we <laughs> love to call her, voiced by Mitsumi Tamura, who was Alice in the Ancient Magus Bride, Baby Jintan in Anohana, and Kobayashi in Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, which, once that is put on the table, I can absolutely hear it, and that makes sense. <laughs> Domeki, who is voiced by Yumiri Hanamori, um, who was Nadeshko in Laid Back Camp, Best Girl. Um, and then Mr. Fujimoto, who is voiced by Kazuhiko Inoue, and I totally recognize that name without going into it, but um, he is good old Kakashi-sensei in Naruto, Nyanko-sensei in Natsume, Natsume's Book of Friends, yes, and um, Yujin Cho in Legend of the Galactic Heroes. He's got a very uh, prolific amount of titles under his belt. Like, he's a by-name voice actor. Yeah, he's got a... <laughs> several um, roles for sure oh yeah um and that's the cast <laughs> all right so um Soli, you want to recap the plot here uh i can give it a shot so basically we have these three uh gremlins as we have referred to them frequently <laughs> we have uh sasuka uh misuzaki and kanamori uh, they have decided that they want to start their own animation club. However, there's already an anime club. But they don't want to do an anime club, they want to make their own animation. So to get by this, they pull the loophole that they shall be the film research club, the Azoken. Uh, and they decide that they are going to start making their own anime shorts. And this is complicated by the fact that Musasaki's family are famous actors, and she is a, a model, so she has that world uh, colliding with her anime, animating life. Um, the fact that Kanamori and Asasuka have known each other for quite some time and have an interesting uh, friendship slash camaraderie, as they put it, and the fact that they are constantly running against opposition from both uh, other clubs who want things from them or from the student council who are trying their hardest to shut down the Azokan because uh, it, what anime doesn't have an absurdly powerful student council who only exists to cause trouble and never actually do anything bureaucratically useful? So, Amen. Uh, that's the best that I can give as a sort of overview of the basic plot, but it is full of... Uh, different turns that we learn more about the characters as we spend more time with them and their motivations for getting into anime and animation yeah there's not really a like a major antagonist there's not a huge narrative exactly it really is focused on these characters and how they um interact with and how they contribute to their their passions and the the art that mm -hmm. they put together uh, so when you watch it, like it's a very compelling show from start to finish. But yeah, there's not really much, you know, quote unquote plot. <laughs> I would I would say that it almost toes the line of a slice of life, mm -hmm. but they have more of a purpose. They get up to hijinks, they do random things, but yeah. it's more of a purpose rather than them just doing nothing. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's not just uh, yeah, it's not just it's not necessarily daily life stuff. But it's not mm -hmm. this wacky, over-the-top story as well. Well, that's the thing I really mm -hmm. like about Yuasa's works, is because they're always seem, for the most part, they seem to be grounded in reality, but they have just enough imagination sprinkled in to, like, engross you into the show. Mm -hmm. Alright, so one thing I want to ask you guys, before we sort of go into the meat of this, 
like give me like your guys major takeaway of like why you really like this show so I think for me, what I really just enjoyed was, like, I normally don't go for slice-of-life anime. It's not that I dislike it, it's just not normally the genre that I sort of gravitate towards, but I think what makes this one so special is that it you can just... It's so creative. Like, just the, the, the setting being... I didn't know it was 2050 um, until I looked at the notes that Tobias wrote for this podcast, and I'm like, wow, I really... I love near-future... Um, stories, things that are kind of set in the not-too-distant future. I love the design of the characters. Like, they're so... It, it, like, it's a show about animation, and it just is so filled with that love of the, of the medium itself in there. Like, from the character designs to the lush backgrounds. I mean, it's a feast for the eyes. And then the characters themselves are... They, they seem simple when you first sort of start watching the show you have the one that loves money you have the gremlin and you have the model but the more you spend time with them the more you kind of see these these layers of depth to each of them and then that sort of same respect and care and time is given to the side characters too i mean there are these sort of recurring tropes like again the the wicked school council student council who's out to get the main characters like i mean but it feels kind of like it knows that it's playing into a trope. Like it, but it, it does so in a loving way. It's not skewering it. It's not making fun of it. It's not saying how stupid it is. It's just kind of saying, we know this is a thing and we're, we're having fun with it. And I, I also just find myself kind of looking for all of these sort of connections to the wider anime industry. Like, I feel like... It would be so easy to call this, you know, keep your hands off the anime club. I mean, there's been anime about anime clubs and characters in anime clubs. That's not a new thing, but I feel like calling it the film research club does two things in the plot. One, they uh, Kanamori makes a specific point that there is an anime club, but they are into the fandom aspect they're into merchandise doujinshi like that's what they're doing they're not an animation club they're not seeking to make their own anime they're 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 you know doing more of the otaku subculture stuff and then you have the fact that we don't always and this is something that happens in japan too we do not always see animation as a legitimate art form i mean look about the mm -hmm. fact that like best animated film came about just because they didn't want beauty and the beast they didn't want a thing like that happening again like it's by making it the film club it is you know sort of both dividing itself from the the idea of anime fandom and then also trying to legitimize animation as an art form and i think that just doing that with both the title and just the nuance of what they call their club is so brilliant and so interesting and then the characters themselves are so they're not they're they're otaku but not in the 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 sort of flat stereotypical sense i mean they are literally animation otaku like the scene where um, she watches her grandmother toss the liquid out the window. Like, that is completely, like, like Musuzaki's, like, focus on that moment is so based on just movement and what it means to capture movement. And that is the sort of core of the, the otaku obsession with understanding something that I think is normally, like, I feel like any, a lesser show 
would have these just be a bunch of sort of weeb girls, you know, and it would make a lot of easy jokes, but this is actually, like, trying to do something better and both succeeding and surpassing its own expectations. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I agree with that. Uh, back in my more more innocent uh, anime fan days, you know, I name-dropped Genshiken earlier, and that show is also about an anime club, or as they call it, the Society for the Study of Modern Visual Culture, which I remember back then, just that idea, like, just that phrase really struck me. It's like, it's not just watching cartoons, it's a study of modern visual culture. The show itself is very much a pandering anime, typical show, it doesn't really hold up like, you know, Azoken does, but that kind of made me think of that idealistic view um, that, you know, I had back in those days as well. And they really do pay, it really does pay off here where sure they're otaku in the general sense that they have fields that they specifically enjoy, but they're not anime otaku. They're not, you know, Akihabara otaku, you know, more typical kind of stuff for sure. For me, the reason I really like this show is that I can relate to it as a content creator um, going through it with my YouTube channel and to a lesser extent working with you guys here at Third Impact, you kind of see the struggles that you have to go to whenever you're creating new content over time. And when you start off, you don't know what to do and you, you kind of like skimp on certain things. But over time, you learn to to fine-tune ex- what you're working on and improve over time. And I can feel the exact same things with these characters. This show's definitely something, if you're uh, some kind of content creator, if you're passionate for a, any sort of like a creative art of any kind, I definitely recommend this show. I even feel like this is one of those rare exceptions where you don't even have to be an anime fan to watch and enjoy this show. It's that good, but... But the characters yeah. themselves, you, you feel like they can't work without each other. You know, with Asagwa Sub going out and doing her producing job, if she didn't have Kanamori, like, watching and keeping her on track, then she'd never get anything done. <laughs> Same thing with Smizuzaki trying to be a perfectionist, but not having a direction on how she wants to work and ha- needing someone like Asagwa Sub to, like, to lead her. And these characters can't work without one another. And... That's how I feel like, you know, with Mid-Shelf, with, with Third Impact, can't do it without you guys. Aww. Yeah, it's definitely a team effort for sure. It's uh, something it's easy to forget about, but yeah, we all have to feed off each other's energy, you know, to actually create the content. For sure. Mm-hmm. I would like to take one moment, and I will talk about this later, but I want to just personally thank everybody on the creative team for this show for allowing these young girls to exist and be ugly and be dumb and not get sexualized and just live their lives and be the high school kids that they are. That is really one of the things that stuck with me. (laughs) And I don't know, the fact that they're just running around like little gremlins is just refreshing because I know that's what I looked like when I was in high school. I was just a little gremlin. And, um... Like has already been said, um, if you are into art, if you are into the production of things and you're interested in how they, you know, are made and created and the way that people have to get together and delegate all this teamwork or, you know, things don't get done, um, I think that's really cool. I I really enjoy watching how things get made, um, especially things mm-hmm. that I like or partake in and enjoy. Um, 
and they they do it so well everybody's like a cog in the machine and um i don't know it's just these characters the way they're treated and what they go through and how they accomplish things i think is all very refreshing and i love it yeah to go ahead and echo your first point they had a bathhouse episode. I want to talk about that more. So this is going to sound so overdramatic. And you know what? I won't apologize for it. But when I watched that scene, I almost cried. Like <laughs> I know how that sounds because there is a reason sometimes anime has the particular rep- reputation that it gets when you start talking to it about it to people who don't really watch it and understand that there are different genres of things. But when that scene started, I was like, okay, here we go. Cause, um, but it's like, it's things like this and then comparing and contrasting to like all of the sexual things that happen in like Devilman Crybaby. Um, that really just makes me so impressed with how like diverse and talented that Yuasa is. And um, when I start talking to people about Eizuken, like a lot of the people that I work with now um, are really into anime. And so now that they know I like it, they will ask me for recommendations. I basically outed myself at work. But um, I've been telling everybody about the show because I've been enjoying it so much. And one of the guys asked me, to explain it to him and I was like it's you know these three girls they're playing the system they make an anime it's really like you know encouraging and I start talking about Yuasa and I'm like so this is the same guy who made Devilman Crybaby went on to make a children's movie and then made this super sweet show about three girls being like friends and artists and one of the guys looked at me and he was like that was the most effed up show I've ever watched I don't believe you but I'm going to watch this (laughs) um but anyway, back to the, the bathhouse scene. Just when I was watching that, like I said, I was like, okay, here we go. Because you know what to expect mm-hmm. in most anime, you know, when we go into those things. Bathing? Bathing should not be a sexualized activity. Everybody does it. It's normal. It should not be a sexualized thing. Um, so to see them just like basically playing around like dumb idiots and like going into their imagination and being like i'm shooting you know my missiles at you pew 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 and like it was it was just all in good fun and it reminded me of like when i was a kid and we had the super big bathtub and i would like dive down under the water and pretend i was a submarine and come back up and just like spit water everywhere (laughs) (laughs) i hate you know that that has become my selling point almost um to that show because I I was pitching it to another friend of mine and you know she cares a lot about the same things I do when it comes to you know how women are written in shows and how you know anime portrays young girls and things like that and that was like the first thing I mentioned to her I was like do you want to watch an anime that doesn't have a sexualized bath scene and she was like yeah (laughs) um but it's just the show just does so many things right and I want it to be the standard and I just say it every day but just thank you for you know allowing these girls to just exist and not be meat bags like we see in other shows. I mean one of the reasons that I didn't watch this when it first came out is because I've basically learned that anytime a show centers around high school girls or like like cute girls i just do not care unless it's like maybe if it's a magical girl show or something like that but most of the time i'm like 
because I know this is made for and by men, and that they're not going to be characters that are going to be waifu archetypes, first and foremost. They're going to exist. Absolutely. Like, like, if you say you should watch this, I'm going to probably say no, because I know that this is made for you and not for me, because this is made to titillate mm-hmm. you or to give you the, you know, artificial feeling that a woman would ever care about you. Um <laughs> And, yeah, Evelyn, feel that pain. Um, And then, like, I forget what it was that convinced me to watch this. I think it might have been something Tobias said about it. And I I really loved it because I'm like, these characters are 100... I have not seen a single person... And I really, please do not come onto my Twitter with corrections, but I've not seen a single person refer to any of these girls as their waifu. I've not seen, like, they're, they're actual characters. They're my children and I want to protect them. And they're them. actual <laughs> characters. Like, they're not, they're drawn in such a way, too. They're designed in such a way where it, they're not, like, like ugly to make a point of it. Like, they're not, they don't draw them in a way that's, like, purposefully unappealing so, you know, there's nothing. And they're not drawn as, like, these hyper-stylized ugu moe blobs, but they're they're drawn like actual characters. Like... I mean, Asakusa's a literal blob, so I don't know what you're talking no. about. She's not done, like, they didn't make her, she's not, they didn't make her gross, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Exactly. It's not like, you know, we're watching a, God, I love them, Kyoani show where sometimes they tend to do that, but they do that in such a way that it doesn't, doesn't feel wrong. (laughs) Yeah, I, I wholeheartedly back up all those statements and I love too, I love too that other than Mizusaki, a lot of the main characters we see aren't overtly feminine. Like, I thought Usakusa might have... Like Domeki? Yes. Like, Domeki. I had no idea Domeki was a girl until, like, one of the very last episodes when they were like, she's sleeping. And I was like, oh, I think it was the skirt that kind of gave it away, but otherwise you couldn't tell from any other facial features. Yeah. Mm -mm. Yeah, exactly. And then even Usakusa, like, um, I first saw her in a a screen grab from the waist up and I was like that's a little boy <laughs> even sounds like a little boy at um, times I love her voice I really love her voice and um, that is the thing that I was kind of going off about in the Beastars episode where like I would put that in the voice of like Haru's English voice actor where it, it's kind of like unreplicable is that a word um, instead of sounding like this, because everybody sounds like this. But um, all of those things together, I know we're going to talk about characters we like later on, but um, I think all of that coming together, and like even Kanamori, she's not overtly feminine either, um, just made me like these characters so much more. And um, like Sully was saying, it feels like high school girl characters in anime tend to be like super sweet and cheerful and um basically made to pander to adult it's men. very blink um, if you need to be saved right now exactly <laughs> um and i don't know thank you thank you yuasa and miss Choi for doing the I mean, even mizusaki who is you know more codified as as feminine she feels normal. Like, she doesn't... I mean, she has a more mm-hmm. higher register, more feminine-sounding voice, but it's not, oogie-woogie, here I am. <laughs> <laughs> this... It's just... Um, Subame, I'm gonna say something controversial. Um, I mean, all that is part of her job. 
Of course, that's what I'm known for. Subame should have been how Atlas handled on in Persona 5. When you have a whole character whose arc is, please don't sexualize me because that makes me uncomfortable and I don't like it, I'm a person. And then you proceed to do that throughout the rest of the damn game. Knock it off. And it's interesting <laughs> that even though she's a model, like most of the fans that like pop up in the series that recognize her are other girls, and it's more like a fashion thing. Like, oh, it's that girl, you know, in the in the advertisements. Mm-hmm. And then the guys yeah, she... who do, it's not weird. They're not like, oh god, it's the girl. It's like, you know, it's like, oh, it's that girl. Like, it's like a normal like crush that they might have. It's so. She has a very wide demographic of people who are into her work, and I think only once or twice did I recognize her fans being like, oh, you look so cute, or she's so cute, or, like, they were focusing more on her work versus her looks, and I think that is a very important thing. (laughs) Right. I mean, the whole, quote-unquote, like, being attractive is, is a trait that she has, and it's her job, but it's not, like anime attractiveness where like we talked earlier about the waifu kind of stuff Mm -hmm. she doesn't really have the same properties of a waifu she just per the narrative is a model right and of course you have to look like most models are conventionally pretty so of course Mm -hmm. like you know that would be like your job is your looks and you know that's a whole different thing that we don't have time to get into but um it's never She's never reduced down to that. Like, there are multi... Or, excuse me, there are multiple things about her that make up her Mm -hmm. as a person and a character. And that's very... That's very admirable, I think, from a writing standpoint. So I would agree with all of that. Uh, I think one thing that stood out to me, that uh, the thing that really brought me to literal tears both times I finished episode one, was just the inherent love of animation Mm -hmm. present to the show. Um, you watch shows about anime and anime production like Shirobako and those are those are interesting shows in their own right but this show just got what I love about watching animation and uh, the in, in the anime production and just seeing them talk about that uh, the first time where they're kind of in the um, in the laundromat and that dingy upstairs laundromat and they're just like putting their drawings on the uh, the window to sort of line up and they're just bouncing ideas off each other and talking about you know, you know this is the, the water would flow this way the uh, the whole windmill would you know has to be shaped like this and just the thought they put into these techniques uh, that you know we always see in anime even though we're not really aware of it uh, I thought that was really I, really I think the big difference is uh, that with shows like Shirobako, it's more on a professional sense where most people can't find that relatable. But with with right. this show, then, you know, anyone can be an animator if you just put your mind into it. And that's what this show shows. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. It got into the actual passion behind that. And I think stuff like Shirobako, where it talks about the industry and how uh, how that can grind you down how tough it is this show really just focused on the, that original childlike passion of Korea of creation I think it's kind of interesting to note too that uh, two of the anime they kind of reference or kind of uh, not satire but kind of wink at it are um, uh, Future Boy Conan and then Horace Prince of the Sun like I'm pretty sure that the film that uh Asasuka and Kanamori are going into in the first episode is supposed to sort of be a wink and a nod to Horace Prince of the Sun. Um, like, 
they're not they're they're animation fans, but they're not like anime fans, if that makes sense. Like you don't see Asuka like running around going like I just want to make Aruto. Um, like, <laughs> <laughs> even though she would like, I mean, I could see that, but like, it doesn't frame her as like, it, it frames her as someone who loves animation and not someone who's like aping the things they see. I feel like that's a, a huge theme in this show is their inspiration comes from their day to day lives, like what they eat, where they go, what they see, the city they live in, the people they meet, their school, as opposed to, um, a lot of people who are very into anime and then make their own original work um, fall into the trap of being too derivative and constantly, like, everything that they make feels like it is a, a reference or an homage or a, a reflection upon something else they've consumed, and that's fine. Like, I do not think you can create anything in a vacuum. But I feel like that's one of the things that's become a problem in the actual currently running anime industry is this constant need to regurgitate these same themes and ideas because either the people are so deeply invested in works other people have made or they know it will sell. And I think this is also commenting on that. Again, just if you look at the things that inspire all of their shorts, it never does... Uh, Asasuka or Mizusaki really say just like in this show and it, even if it's like a made up show for the universe like it's never it's always just like this thing we saw in real life just like this emotion I was gonna say you can at Mr. Shinkai next time cause... I'll just, look I'll just go into his DMs if I want to do that <laughs> I'm not gonna make this a public affair I think the only other reference besides uh, Future Boy Conan and Horus is the part where uh, Midori cosplays as um, uh, Miyazaki. <laughs> oh, God, <laughs> yes. Scene. She's got a little, like, white beard <laughs> and the apron. That killed me. I When they did that, I didn't even second guess. I was like, she's Miyazaki. I love it. <laughs> and there is, like, Robbie the Robot does pop up in the, uh, the, the scroll that the robot club pulls out. I mean, there are little tiny references okay. here and there. It's not wrong to to nod towards things you love but i kind of go back to like what chuck jones said about animation like you have to read you have to go to opera you have to be in real life you have and uh, like that's the same stuff that miyazaki said before like you have to live in the real world to know how to capture the real world and the way it moves in animation exactly and and to sort of tie that in what you were saying earlier about you know sort of typical anime uh, female characters. There's not only references, but there's the same tropes and same character archetypes. You know, you've got your Moe, you've got your Sundara, you've got your sort of what you expect to fit in these um, waifu pigeonholes to get the people to buy the merch and to to watch to watch your show. And the show just skirts all of that. Mm-hmm. It never feels it never feels too gratuitous, and that's why. I think it works. Another thing that I noticed we haven't brought up is uh, we're lauding the shows for a lot of things, but one thing that the show has been able to maintain consistently is the humor. Like there are so oh, yeah. many funny parts that I that are still like vividly in my mind. For example, there's this one part in the show where Masakusa is telling Kanamori she's she's like, "Isn't a producer supposed to develop a con- a discerning eye?" And Kanamori's like, fair enough. 
and then you see like a little thought bubble <laughs> for Asako says she's like, I just won an argument with Kanamori. Oh god, <laughs> or yes. Or another funny line that I really enjoyed was when they were doing the discussion with the robot club, Kanamori was mm-hmm. like, I wish I had blackmail material to speed this negotiation along. And then shortly <laughs> yes. after you saw Asaku Sog started crying, she's like, I cry in the bath every night about how big the universe is. And then Misuzaki's <laughs> like, I cry. I try to do a Hadoken every night before bed. <laughs> yes, God. Um, I really, really enjoy everybody's like dumb slapstick reactions, <clears throat> like faces, the the silly facial expressions in the show just take me to a place I've never been before. Um, and then that scene that's in our notes, uh, visually, where Sakusa just sits down in that beanbag and she's like... Oh. Straight vibing. <laughs> yes. Or oh, where God. she tries to stand um, on the couch and falls over. Oh, man. Yes. And then uh, there was the one where she gets nervous because uh, they're walking through that river um, towards the end of the show and she gets scared and she starts sucking on her little bunny. And I'm like... You know, I feel that. I have the same stuffed animal that I've had since an infant. I don't know if I would suck on it, but I definitely would hold <laughs> on to it when I was having a bad There's day. There's even the part where Asakusa almost got dragged by the river current, and kind of more oh, had yeah. to go in and save her. <laughs> I think my yeah. favorite... Yes. It just swept me away. No, it didn't. You <laughs> fell in. I was going to say, one of the little things, that, the little jokes that I enjoyed, when they first used the uh, the nickname Kane Lani, <laughs> or Kane Mori, and uh, Midori just giggles in this little gremlin giggle. <laughs> it's just, the, the, the laugh itself is just as funny as the nickname. I think my favorite, it's a very, very tiny scene, but I rewound it and watched it several times and laughed. Very, it was so stupid, but it's uh, the episode where where uh, Misusaki's parents come to the culture festival and it's when she comes back to where Kanamori and Asasuka are like sitting she's bringing lunch back to them and she has like the, the plastic bag and everything and it's her walking to the building but when they animated it they just drew her with like the most plain stick figure face yeah. and it made me laugh yes. like it made me ugly laugh i don't know why and i just kept thinking yeah. me bringing food to my friends just, it was- the whole scenario with the robot the cardboard robot thing during the school festival i was watching that episode on my lunch break in the employee cafeteria and i was just sitting there laughing out loud and definitely got a few looks but genuinely that scene made me laugh the hardest I had in quite a while. I'm just so glad that the comedy, like you said, Edwin holds up. Oh, for sure. There was the there entire was the, show. The last one I think I might bring up is whenever Kanamori invites Asakusa and Misuzaki to the ramen, and they knew that she had an ulterior motive, and then at the very end, she doesn't even pay. <laughs> I, I remember what Tobias said that uh, when when conventions are allowed to be held again, when we leave the the age of quarantine that we should all just be do the robot club we should all just get as many cardboard boxes <laughs> that we can find and all goes the robot club it's so easy God, i i really really want to cosplay asakus so bad just because i have no other occasion in which to wear a camo bucket hat and i also just don't want to have to do a full face of makeup like that, that would be the most incredible thing. I'd love thing, to I do a <laughs> Izoken cosplay. It'd be so much fun. Oh, God. 
yeah no, the, the the comedy sprinkled throughout uh there's tons of little jokes throughout the show which it's never overbearing it's not too jokey mm-hmm. but i think it adds spice to all these characters all throughout that just really again is very refreshing it's a very well balanced show So let's kind of, we talked a lot about the characters as part of it, because the characters rule. <laughs> we would all definitely agree with that. So let's kind of just go to the main ones here, sort of what we appreciate about appreciate about them. So uh, so we talked a lot about uh, Asakusa, but do we want to, I don't know, like, I think, I really like her arc, the fact that she is brimming with ideas and brimming with imagination, but I think her, her progression uh, allowing her to focus more on those ideas and bring them to fruition is probably the probably the main arc throughout the show. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you guys feel about that? Like, did you guys? I, I feel like we talked a lot about resonating with her character, especially Tori. You brought that up a couple times. Do you really mm-hmm. uh, see yourself through her creative process as well? First of all, this little girl has ADHD, and I appreciate her wholeheartedly for it. <laughs> But yeah, like I I really enjoyed her almost like childlike wonder of seeing things and being like, okay, I can use this as a reference or I can imagine this this way or this would make this sound. And um, I find myself doing that. Like I like to draw and I like to paint. And um, if I see a particularly beautiful cloud formation, I have so many pictures of clouds on my phone. Jesus. Um, Not strife, but actual clouds in the sky (laughs) um so her just looking at how everything could be a potential idea or a potential like art reference i i really enjoy that and um she just doesn't let anything stop her from being creative and i really really love that for her like she's just a brilliant brilliant mind one thing that i really enjoyed about seeing all of her her art was that even though it's it's art it's anime that same energy uh i i've also felt through my various creative hobbies whether it's coming up with stories or you know trying to draw or or whatever there's just you see that inspiration throughout all of her notebooks that she has and i feel like for myself being a grown-up now there's so much analysis paralysis and that difficulty of overcoming that first hurdle when you've got so many ideas in your head and putting them to paper mm-hmm. I think that was really refreshing to see that in her character as well right and they kind of I know there's that one line that I was joking about earlier where Kanamori is just like you know focus on the project that's in front of you and um, I think they even talk a little bit about burnout but I think that's a good thing to remind people of it's like you know yes have all these ideas don't stop thinking but like write them down and focus on what's in front of you because I feel like if you try to stretch yourself too thin especially artistically you just get to the point where it's like 
I don't want to do anything anymore. <laughs> I, I wonder if they were like using her as a. She's very like hyperactive mm-hmm. burnout cycle, but she gets burned out really easily. Yes. But then she goes on a walk or on an adventure, mm-hmm. and then she, that gives her the inspiration to to keep moving forward. So while she goes through those cycles every day, <laughs> it yes. seems like in the show, that's something that could last you know long periods of time mm-hmm. for, for actual people. But I feel like they, the way they talked about it was very, very true. You know, you have burnout, you, you work too much, you work to the point of exhaustion, but then you have to spend time to refresh yourself, uh, even though that, that free time can feel like, you know, you're on a vacation and you're goofing off and not actually working. It's very important to have those moments. That actually brings me to a good point with what you were saying. There's actually a good quote from the club advisor, you know, the one that barely shows up. But yeah. he yeah. told Kanamori, you can't be able to expect someone to work with no time off or enjoyment. Don't work more than you have to, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, do what you can, don't do more than what you can. That was a subtweet of the entire anime that's, production world. That's a message we should hold <laughs> to heart as well. <laughs> yeah. I really loved Kanamori, and I, I don't I can't explain why. I don't know why her character resonated, because <laughs> she's, she's just her. Riches, she's, riches. she's so just interesting, I think. I mean, I, I'm not in any way knocking Asasuka or um, Mizusaki at all. I, I think my second favorite was Mizusaki, just because I loved her little arc with her grandmother. But for some reason, I guess, like, normally I find care like, she's not a money-grubbing character. Like, she's very concerned about finances and uh, economics and how to actually sort of do something from the logistical side, but she's not, like, she's not Mr. Krabs. You know, she's not a, a penny-pincher. She's just incredibly smart and really good at kind of knowing how to work a situation in their favor, and I, I really just find that so interesting. I actually found that extremely interesting and extremely realistic because once you see the backstory of her watching her, I think, uncles or her aunts and uncles store kind of fizzle out um, with the advent of the kombini, like the chain kombini compared to their little uh, distillery and general store. Things like that, I feel, can kind of traumatize you. I follow someone on YouTube who uh, does reviews on books and she has like a really... Um, interesting channel and a thing that she's talked about before is seeing her family lose a lot of money due to gambling and I know these are two different scenarios but um, as she grew up that caused her to be like very frugal and very self-conscious and just conscious in general about money um, because she kind of watched her family lose a lot due to that so seeing people talk about that, not just her, like I've read other things, um, people in similar scenarios, I think that added kind of like a fantastic bit of realism um, onto her character as well, because it's a very legitimate situation. You see mom and pops close all the time because the big box stores come in or the chain stores and the uh, things like that run them out of business. Yeah, no, I, li- I really enjoyed Kanamori's character. Uh, I guess we can just kind of go ahead and know her uh, full, full tilt here. Um, I, usually when you see these sort of producer characters and anime about anime, they're not always like the good guys, the main the main characters. Um, they're usually, it's, when you look at the people doing the drawing and the animation and the stuff that we really are here for versus the people that talk about the money and the back end, not necessarily the most interesting 
characters the most interesting parts of these shows and these stories Mm -hmm. but that is completely not true for this show (laughs) katamori is is an absolutely fascinating character it's hard to say one is the best character because they're all the best character in this show but i completely agree that katamori is is an amazing character in her own right both her maturity both being able to see that episode where we see uh baby kanamori and how she's come to uh terms with that lifestyle Mm -hmm. uh to see her spit wisdom like social media is terrible (laughs) no one has fun on it amen (laughs) social media is yeah it's on it all the time i mean relatable queen (laughs) (laughs) exactly but she just she knows how to stick to the game plan and she knows how to play people and get into people and get what she wants and i mean they all contribute to the success of the azoken but she certainly is the most concrete physical factor of that Mm -hmm. success i would say so uh there's there's a reason we call bill kanamori now and (laughs) very much the center of our little podcast here if bill goes we all just we we all die (laughs) yeah we all just slump down in our beanbag chairs and (laughs) i'll die on that hill or that beanbag (laughs) or or you're just gonna die in the river (laughs) still can't catch you (laughs) i'm gonna throw myself in this river if i don't catch a sturgeon (laughs) (laughs) but no i found her fascinating i love her backpack Oh my gosh, everybody has an incredible backpack in this show. It's really weird. I mean, yeah, hers are made out of two giant Converse, but like... I'm sure that there is some, like, AliExpress factory that has mass-produced those things by this point. (laughs) Oh, absolutely. I found Lagoshi's backpack in, like, two solid seconds of a Google search, so I'm sure. (laughs) Speaking of her style, another little thing I noticed uh, in the ramen episode where she does up her hair with her glasses. Yes. (laughs) The the glasses that she never actually uses. No. And it cracked me up when uh, she was wearing that beanie and she had her glasses sitting on top of her beanie. One of my favorite episodes, I think it's the penultimate episode, but whenever Kanamori looked at her watch, on the bottom you could see it said crush proof. Just where did she get that watch? (laughs) Another short scene of her that I enjoy is when she's bribing the uh, the AC club to lower the temperature. Oh, thank you. And they're in that dark hallway, and they're just talking about numbers. 16. What about 19? Did I stutter? <laughs> 16. <laughs> so uh, I guess let's go on to the last of the Gremlins then, uh, Tsubame Mizuzaki. I think, I think it was very... I like characters who do what they want, um, despite what their family is telling them to do, because I have a problem with authority, and I just kind of do whatever I want. Uh, (laughs) My, like, my favorite Bandori character, for instance, she's the same way. Like, her dad's like, you're gonna take over the flower shop. And she's like, no, dad, I want to make music. Um, So I kind of find that very admirable, and I think it's hilarious the way that she kind of sneaks around behind their back like she's doing drugs or something (laughs) like no mom i'm just making anime i swear i'm not doing cocaine um but to see her and it's kind of sad i guess on the same hand to see her feel like she has to work so hard to make it successful to show them that this isn't just something stupid um and i felt so bad for her when you know she when she was sort of running around in fear at the festival because um by fate her parents were able to make it to one for once 
and that kind of sucks like I know I know that feeling where it's just like you know you really have your heart set on doing something and your family's like absolutely not you're gonna do what makes you money not what you want to do in your heart and um I I enjoyed that story point for her nonetheless I think um Misozaki's bubbly character was able she's like the glue that holds both Asakusa and Kanamori together like she's that Mm -hmm. in between energy that neither of them have because like Asakusa's energy is like I'm all over the place and kind of yeah Kanamori's like money 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 (laughs) (laughs) before we started recording Evelyn I believe you were the one that described them as like anime Ed Ed Nettie which is yeah, a exactly. very, very <laughs> apt description. But I think to go back to the, the one, that one episode right before the robot anime, I think that was really interesting because she was very worried about her parents' reaction, but her parents actually didn't care. Mm-hmm. Her, her dad had just kind of offhand mentioned that, yeah, I figured, you know, well, she's an actress. Like, she just had people follow her. Yeah. But the beginning of the episode made it feel like there was a, a men in black following her I know. <laughs> to make sure... But we see that it, her like her mom didn't even know, didn't even care. Her dad just kind of. I feel like he didn't actually care either. When it came down to it, he just rich picked, people you know, are wild. So it was interesting to see that you know her parents weren't really that unsupportive. It was more in her head yeah. than anything. And uh, I think that's what I like about. I think of, of the three, I think uh, Mizuzaki is my favorite. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my fear coming in was that she was going to be the normal. You know, the quote unquote normal the normie against yeah the normie but she absolutely is not the, the normie of this group um this is a really dumb comparison and I hate to even make it but it's like she reminded me of um oh what's her freaking name uh, shows how much I think about it um the sister from Oreimo uh. <laughs> because she was like I know, I'm sorry, but it just, it immediately made me think of that character. Like, she's much better than her, obviously, but, like, just, like, seeing the stereotypical, like, normal person have these, like, super hilarious otaku interests, um, Mm. because we never tend to equate those things in real life. Like, uh, the sister is also a model, but she keeps all of her, like, anime figurines and comics and everything in her closet hidden away because like nobody can know that she's into anime because she's you know a popular model and of course a popular girl wouldn't like things like that but um i hate that my brain immediately was like oh it's like this (laughs) i think that that is kind of a trope in in anime culture japanese culture where this kind of stuff is for nerds Mm -hmm. and if you're a model you're definitely not with the nerds yeah uh so that's not something you're really kind of supposed to and and maybe that's kind of why her her dad didn't really want her to be in anime because they were actors they have a certain reputation yes you know the japanese are very focused around the face Mm -hmm. and the reputation that they and their family create so that's probably related to that right uh but i like the fact that that whole facade breaks down very quickly for her character um she has just as much love for animation a different kind of animation than uh uh, azakusa has Mm -hmm. uh very much into the fluidity of it the the actual sakaga and to see her background episodes with her grandmother i know her her, like taking these ballet lessons and watching the movements specifically and again i teared up a couple times during the show but the point (laughs) 
I'm doing it now. The <laughs> point in the robot anime when one of the characters has their chopsticks a certain way and her parents realize her mom realizes that holy shit, that's that's our daughter. Like that's that's her that's that's her, that's what she's into. Mm-hmm. And just to see her bring her stories and herself into the the, the actual work itself really resonate with me. I liked the scene uh, with her towards the end where the sound gets changed. I might have misinterpreted this scene wrong, so please correct me, but um, where the they produce the final um, anime that they're doing and the Kappa and the people are having the dance and she gets like really upset about the music being changed. Was it yeah, that it was changed yeah. or it wasn't it composed was, the way they changed. thought it would be? Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. And... Um, that felt so just emotionally raw. Like when you work so hard for something and you put your heart and soul into it and it just doesn't work out or, you know, I have so many good art ideas in my brain and then I go to draw them and it's like, you know, two stick figures. Um, (laughs) But like just that emotion that carried through of her, you know, like I put all my work into this. I timed it perfectly with the music and then you, you know, went out under me and did something different. Um, I, feel like that said a lot about her too um with her passion and dedication and like work ethic and i like that oh you know edwin you mentioned earlier about how she sort of is the glue that ties these characters together i feel like in some ways uh midori is kind of a maybe not a bad influence (laughs) but certainly feeds off that (laughs) well she's more of that um she brings out the otaku (laughs) in mizuzake (laughs) Uh, just the way they they gush over their like when they're the first thing where they're showing each other their designs and I'm like oh what's this thing well let's add wings let's add this fuselage well how does it take off and then when the tanuki shows up and <laughs> she just like screams out ah it's a tanuki and they both do that dumb little dance <laughs> I know <laughs> it's like it's like whenever we all get together at a convention and we become like a hundred and fifty times more obnoxious Ex- oh, exactly, you're all bad yeah. influences to me but you have this. <laughs> Absolutely. Edwin and I bring out the worst in each other. Oh, God. And then throw John into the mix, and it's just, like, literally the worst <laughs> thing ever. You guys are the three. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, she's got just as much passion as the other characters do, mm-hmm. but something about breaking free of those, uh, that what was expected of her. And I think a lot of that sort of immaturity that we see both in the way she interacts with the characters and like you said how she kind of uh like breaks down a bit when the scene doesn't work out or when she fights back when in the first short they do hold that machete tight mm-hmm. when she's like well no i want to draw like this and kind of more he's like we don't have time for this <laughs> do it this way i feel like a lot of that passion is just her having to suppress her love for so long mm-hmm. and doing what she feels like she has to for her parents and the fact that now she can be the gremlin girl she always wanted to be, <laughs> uh, it just kind of bleeds through. And that both help, like, it creates those moments of immaturity for her, mm-hmm. which are very believable moments. But it also creates really, um, like, amazing art. as She's finally able to express herself the way I she mean, wants to. I mean, ultimately, they're the high school time. girls. We all know we acted that way during high school. Look, Edwin, I don't want to have, like, a flashback right here, right now. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't wear a bucket hat? You were a gremlin? (laughs) Look, I have learned one thing with this anime, and it is we all need to reach deep inside ourselves to find the gremlin that lurks beneath the surface. (laughs) 
I will say I never wore a Naruto headband. I didn't either. I am free from sin. And that is, yes. <laughs> well, let's not go that far. <laughs> Let he was without embarrassing weeaboo moments in high school pass the, or uh, cast the first stone. Pass the, pass the first pocket. Oh. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to move on here <laughs> to the next session point. And uh, let's talk about like the setting of the background. So uh, as Soli read ahead earlier, and a very quick, you know, blinking you miss it scene. There is a calendar in the background that does reveal this takes place in the 2050s, 30 years from today. And uh, the show doesn't really, like, draw attention to this at all. It could take place in a normal high school now. But there are a lot of subtle changes, I felt like. And uh, I kind of want to talk about how, what they did to bring this world alive, more so than the sci-fi aspect. So uh, Shibahama is a really kind of an amazing place, and they, they mention this pretty much from the first scene with Midori's love of it and how it bleeds into her, her artwork. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so what did you guys think about the, the backgrounds, both the real-life backgrounds and the imagination backgrounds? I really love the setting and just the, the, the set design for this show. Um, when I first watched it, I thought the school design, I was like, oh, this is so ridiculous, this must take place in some, like, slight fantasy world, but I, I kind of like knowing now that it does take place 30 years in the future. Um, I, I, it feels like it justifies it, like, it, it felt, like, crazy, but not so crazy as to be, like, you know, a complete fantasy, and I just really appreciated that, and... Just looking back, I'm probably going to end up rewatching this and just looking for all of the little subtle hints that this takes place much farther down the mm-hmm. line. Um, and just, I, I know that there's also that tweet where the creator talks about, you know, I went to school with people who were American and Japanese and Iranian and Chinese and Korean, and that's what my school looked like. Because if you watch this show, it has a very diverse background cast. You see uh, all sorts of different people... Yeah at the school and in this town and it feels very it, it doesn't feel like it's pandering and it also doesn't feel cynical it feels very natural okay. yes okay, natural. and, and kind of loving like these characters are here they 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 belong here they're okay here and uh this feels like a positive future like i know that you've talked about the idea that you know maybe this is after climate change has killed all of us, but it feels like a, like, I feel like right now where we are in the world, outside. At least Corona's gone by 2050. (laughs) That's great. (laughs) Love that for us. Um, But it it does feel like a a more hopeful look at the future compared to what we are probably more used to right now. For sure. Not that it's not without problems. I mean, apparently all these businesses closing down and this sort of gentrification that they discuss, but... I really liked how everything looked sort of earthy. Um, And something that sticks out to me especially is the scene where they uh, walk through the river and discover that, like, lush greenery where the swing and the shrine is and how they just keep um, exploring those rivers that used to be roads, which also um, leads to either global warming or how we will create man-made lakes. Um, I know we have quite a few of those in North Carolina, and when you listen to how those 
are made. Um, there are buildings under there. There are people's cars still under there. And um, that's really horrifying to think about. <laughs> and in that scene, too, you see a sign hanging up on the uh, wall, like on the uh, cement wall there that said, let's make this a solar city. And yeah. I wonder what happened with that. I'm very curious about that. But it, it, everything looked very like it was kind of sort of being reclaimed back by the earth, but not to a mm -hmm. uh, large degree. And um, as for the imagination things, that was some of my favorite, um, hold on. As for the imagination scenes, that was some of my favorite parts of the show, like, just seeing how they all can kind of scoot out of reality for a minute and do all these silly things that kind of bring their works to life. And, you know, that's a machine gun and that's, you know, the aliens attacking and that's this wind chime that's going to summon the Kappa. And it's, it's really incredible. I liked that a lot. Yeah, and then that scene where they go over to the uh, the clock tower. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh! Yes, for the, the inspiration scene. Yeah, like that whole area, like you mentioned, is is reclaimed by nature. Uh, Do Domeki is there originally just to get a sample of the um, what was it like the bell tower mm -hmm. uh, as it goes off uh, once once twice a day or something like that. <clears throat> but yeah, we see this sort of contrast between the main city that is all built in layers there's been buildings on top of buildings that have you know fallen into disrepair and other layers of this infrastructure that humanity has found ways to uh, retake and repurpose in various ways uh, i really like when they go in the laundromat in episode one mm -hmm. and you have to duck under the air conditioning unit just to get inside and uh, when they go to the bathhouse, how there's like a secret entrance to the bathhouse that you're not really supposed to use. Yeah. Uh, but it's just kind of built into the city. Uh, little things like that I think are really cool. I would love just like a sandbox video game of Shibahama mm -hmm. where you can just walk around the city and just explore it or something like that. It's called Super Mario Sunshine. Oh, well, there you go. What's that, like 15 years old now? <laughs> so like... Azoken is, is an adaptation of uh, Awara's original work, so there's only so much that Yuasa and company could really add. There are a lot of Yuasa-isms and Saiyan-Saru-isms sort of ever-present. You know, you have the Azoken logo that's very much a riff on the Saiyan-Saru logo with the walking monkey. Yes. Uh, the, uh, the opening has a lot of little you know, Yuasa characters kind of sprinkled throughout. Um... But a lot of that imagination stuff, I feel like, is Owaru's, like, it's, 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 it's his primarily, but it was really only Saru that could bring it to life in their own way. And for both of them to take the base of this weird city, but make it even weirder in a believable manner, and add on these really cool sci-fi stuff, like the, the whole helicopter skirt, the, uh, the little dragonfly copter, things like that. I think those are really, really interesting uh, designs. Definitely, like there. this show, even though it is directed by Yuasa, it feels less of a Yuasa show than most of his other works. I know we had brought mm -hmm. that up earlier, but mm -hmm. even with the design and everything, because it is in the near future, and he really doesn't do things in the near future, so it's uncharted territory for him. And, but I'm glad it turned out fine. I really like the design of everything, like maze-like. 
Mm-hmm. I need to interrupt for a brief moment just to say, with 20 minutes to spare, I caught a sturgeon. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> oh. Okay, back to the conversation. That's going in the episode. Keeping that in. Oh God, please do. You're very lucky I didn't scream. Anyway, go on. <laughs> <laughs> the only thing I wanted to mention, one little touch. Uh, did you guys notice that the faculty office was a swimming pool? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. 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 So I, I didn't catch that on the first watch, but I, I, I watched, you know, on the successive views, the, uh, the, the school itself is uh, very architecturally weird. The, uh, the faculty office is based out of an indoor swimming pool, which is uh, apparently based on a real life studio. Uh, studio 4C's CG team has a very similar setup. It's something that uh, we see in Azokan as being very much a product of this setting possibly based on a uh, a real life office which is a, a neat little, little reference there that's cool but uh the next thing i wanted to bring up here is uh the last line of the show which is a recurring theme throughout and that's um there's still lots of room for improvement the line that they both knew she would say as soon as she woke up and that's something that we see a lot uh in each of the three anime that they make here uh from the first one that they do put together just for the, um, what was it? It was just a, um, it wasn't the culture festival. The first one was just something they did for the it hell was of it, was to it? be like treated as an official club. They had to put out something. Mm. Yeah. Right. Their presentation. Yeah. So hold that machete tight. Uh, we have, uh, I think it's like Shiba eight versus, um, pistol crab. Crab versus or something crab. Like <laughs> Yeah, Craptal. Crap, crap, And uh, Shiba uh, Hama UFO Wars, which they sell at uh, Comet A. Comet Cat. Totally not Comet Cat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally not Comet Cat here. And each time we see this, like, the show ramps up into these three different arcs, I feel like, where we've got the characters come together, Kanemori, like, you know, takes the whip and really forces them to work on this deadline. They say something pretty profound in their process, and then we we get to see it as the audience. And each of these three works is 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 different than the show itself. So it's like we actually got to watch four different anime in this one series, uh, which I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. But I think the the build up to each one of these works is really I think what makes these characters what makes them shine and what really makes them progress. I guess. So I feel like that's the that's a major theme of the show here. So, uh, what did you guys see in that as far as their progression from you know the first work to the um, last work? I I saw you know with the scale of the anime that they're producing increase, so did the scale of the environment. So like with the first one being with the the girl versus the tank, it was just like a generic you know like a desert theme. There wasn't much to it in the backgrounds, but then over over time it was like a city and then even like the whole world with the final Shibahama Wars. I think it started to get a little easier for them. Not that it was easy breezy, but like... (laughs) I think once you get into the creative process more and more, you kind of like, you get your rhythm and you know how to, you know, use tips and tricks here and there to make your um, you work smarter, not harder, basically, and um, they were able to, you know, add more things and pro- uh, just overall progress in the quality. I think by the time they got to the 
UFO one, it had stepped up drastically, like improved drastically. No, yeah, completely. And the uh, the first one, we see them struggle a lot just to make the deadline. It was sort of leading up to that uh, that quote. You know, it's less about finishing or completing, but really more about the outcome of passion and crashing against the compromise and, and resignation. Mm-hmm. Where it's very much a struggle for them just to finish the first one. And but by the end, you know, they've got twenty four hours to completely re storyboard everything <laughs> to fit this piece of music, and they do it. Again, not easily, but it certainly seems a little more easy than putting together their first little project. Mm-hmm. So we definitely see some progress being made with their, their workflow and their output. Uh, but I, I feel like with that, uh, one thing I really enjoy is seeing them just mature in the process. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see a lot of their passion present throughout the, throughout the show, and that, that, that's a given. But from the first part where they're very against cutting anything, they don't want to make any compromises, they want to draw all the hand movements and, and all of this, but then by the end where they realize that, well, we have to make it work against this piece of music, you know, we have to make it work with what we've got, we've got to work around these voice actors and the, the background art club that we, we hired uh, to sort of realize they have to work as a team. Mm-hmm. And uh, even the even the part where um, they go to the background art club or this the art club for the first time, and we see Midori sort of hurtled up in her her uniform coat, like turtle a turtling. Yes, and doesn't want to talk to anybody, and uh, kind of more sort of makes her go because you know she, this is something you're gonna have to get used to if we do this mm-hmm. and learn how to talk to people. Yeah, her having the uh, introvert burnout barely halfway through the event was really real (laughs) um it is tough like being around so many people for so many hours in one day when you're wired like that that just really cracked me up like you said or in that sphere you kind of have to get good at what's the word i'm looking for i guess uh audience engagement crowd engagement i follow a lot of artists on twitter and some of them just have no social tact whatsoever and then inevitably here comes the i'm sorry i didn't mean it tweet um so that is interesting i'm kind of sad they didn't delve into that a little more i feel like the maybe not exactly audience engagement because kind of mori is that's kind of what she does Mm -hmm. specifically but by the end you know she's appointed as director and that's not really what she wanted to do at the beginning right she very much wanted to storyboard and come up with these ideas Mm -hmm. Sure, she loves anime, but she didn't really see herself as leading a project. Yes. So what it being a director is really is product management. But by the end, she's very comfortable or definitely gets more comfortable when it comes to working with Domeki and the sound, you know, getting the, the, the people to do the background art and the, the voice actors even. Sure, she still does struggle. I think that uh, when we see her at, uh, you know, Comic Hat, she's still being drained by the amount of people around her. Mm-hmm. So it's not like she just gets over it, because you can't really just get over that. Yeah, for sure. But she does learn to sort of mitigate her own issues and learn how to accommodate that with the passion that she has. Mm-hmm. Sully, do you want to say anything about the uh, our girls growing up? Not really. I mean, I just enjoyed going on the ride with them, and I, I really... I was more interested in how they grew as artists, how they improved from the first short to the second. Um, it was just really... It was just a nice change of pace to see where 
an anime focuses on like the artistic uh, process in a way that always acknowledges that you really never are happy with anything that you make. That I mean, right now in one of my classes, we we're talking about Virginia Woolf's *To the Lighthouse*, and there's a book of like all of the cut material from what she was going to work with, and so much of it was cut out before they got to the final product, and that makes me think of this. I mean, <laughs> I mean, comparing you know one of the greatest writers in the English language to an anime from 2020 is certainly a certainly a bridge I'm <laughs> kind of disturbed to find myself making, but I guess I can't help but see in even what we do here this uh i'm never happy with any of the podcasts i'm on the one the akiba geeks one that i produced just dropped today and i listened to some of it today and i'm like okay here's all the things i need to do to be better and i don't know if i'll ever do any of those things but i can't help but notice them and i'm sure that everyone here has also probably thought the same thing with this or any other art that they do Oh, I hate hearing my own voice, and eventually I'll get over it, but, like, I'll be talking to Austin on the phone while he's editing, and his mic on his phone is good enough to pick up, like, the audio whenever he's, uh, laying down, uh, our audio tracks, even though he has headphones on, and, um, you know how certain microphones will pick up on that, and I'm like, ew, let's not do that today, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, honestly, but, um... I think that's a thing that everybody deals with at some point. It's like when you are making things, I just feel like very rarely is anyone able to look at something they've done like in that moment and be like, yes, I'm very proud of this. Like it takes takes a little bit to sit on it and think about it and realize, um, you know, yeah, this is good. At least I made something and... Um, I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, one of the podcasts I listened to, one of the best pieces of advice the host gave, she was talking about her grandmother, and her grandmother always telling her, if any old dummy can do it, you can do it, and it might (laughs) not be the best thing, but that's the, like, good thing about art is every time you put out something, hopefully you're going to consistently get better. There's another thing from another podcast I had listened to a while ago where... The host said, "You should never be proud of your, of your art because there's always something you can improve on." Because whenever he looks back at his previous works, he's like, "Oh, I can see a flaw here, here, and here. I can always improve on it." Right, and that just comes with time and experience. Like, I feel like you should be more proud of the fact that you got something done. You physically accomplished something. You should just be proud of the fact that you actually were able to do something. I mean, nothing wrong with that. But I agree wholeheartedly with the, there's always room to improve, so you should keep doing it. It's the complacency, I think, of being like, I made all this stuff, I don't need to do any better, is where the problem is. Exactly. And I don't know if it's just me, but when when you think about things like imposter syndrome and what they go through here, whenever I see someone that I know does really good work, when I hear them talk about having this anxiety and these issues... That kind of makes me feel better mm-hmm. because I know that they're just human too, and there's the you know the the issue of I don't like the sound of my own voice. You know I don't like the art that I put out because I hear the flaws in it, see the flaws in it. But to know that those expert creators have the same issues, but their work is genuinely great, yeah, uh, always gives me like inspiration. And uh, and here when they show uh, hold that machete tight, and everyone in the crowd is just amazed at what they saw. Uh, the way they animated it with the you know, the shells from the cannon, you know, popping up 
like into the crowd and the smoke everywhere. The way they did it was really amazing. But as soon as the anime is over and everyone is just amazed, they're just talking to themselves about the things they did wrong. Yeah. And you know, like that, like oh, we forget, we forgot to do that cut. Now we should have done the shading for this, and instantly goes into how we could have gotten better. I feel one. I loved how their work came alive in the audience as they were playing it. Like there was the rush of wind and like things exploding. Um, that was really cool. But two, this is the exact feeling whenever I give a panel at a convention. And people come up to me and they're like, oh, that was really good. Or, oh, that was really well thought out. Or, I'm going to watch this now. Or, I hadn't thought of that angle before. And, you know, as I'm walking out the door, I'm like, oh, I could have talked about that. I could have cut that slide. That joke wasn't funny. How did people stand to listen to me for an hour and a half? Either here or, like, in front of a group. Um, You know, am I making enough eye contact? You know, that person made a face when I said something. What was wrong? And, you know, somebody could just have an itch on their face. But um, it is, no matter what kind of stuff you do, I think that scene right there is very, very relatable. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. And I I like that being the last note of the series, Mm -hmm. that even though we've wrapped up the first season, uh, the manga's still ongoing. Who knows if we'll get more of the anime. Again, I would love more to see more, but I kind of think this season one is perfect as it stands, so I don't really need more. Uh, I feel like this show just needed maybe a couple more episodes. You know, with the, the last episode, I feel like it fell flat because, I mean, I already knew the storyboard of what the Shibahama UFO Wars was going to be, but I felt like we got a snippet because I know they had talked about it was going to be like a full-length episode, and what we saw was only, like, ten episodes or so... Uh, not ten episodes, but ten minutes or so. hmm I feel like if they do release a Blu-ray, which, I mean, it's going to be inevitable, they should release the full 25-minute episode in the, in the Blu-ray. <laughs> oh, that I think would be it'd be so really cool. cool and be a <laughs> nice touch to people. Uh, I, would li- I would like to see them at least maybe the Doctor Story up when they graduate high school. Yeah, I don't necessarily need to see them... Throughout their whole lives, but I think up through the end of high school would be a good natural end to the full Maybe series. Maybe in the manga. Uh, so speaking of more and more adaptations, uh, this is based on a manga, which they did just announce that we're going to get here. Uh, Dark Horse has picked that up, so... Um, nice! I'll, well, we'll at least get volume one. I don't know if they'll do the whole thing, since, uh, again, I think it's still ongoing currently. We'll have to see how that plays out. And uh, around the same time, they announced there's going to be a live-action movie. I'm really looking forward to that. Oh, is it a movie? It's going to be both. Uh, they're going to do like a movie and a, like a short drama series or something like that. That's what I read, at least. Okay. Nice. I think uh, the, the first part drops May 1st. Um, at least it was going to. Uh, God knows if uh, you know, coronavirus is going to delay anything. But uh, yeah, there's a trailer on YouTube you can easily watch if you want to check that out. I think they've captured a lot of the same feeling as the the uh, the, the anime series. They briefly show uh, her wear the little helicopter skirt. Nice. And the way they've done that, I think uh, it works pretty well. I'm a little worried that the actresses they got who are part of that idol group, uh, was it? Uh, Nogizaka 46 or something like that. Nogizaka 46. I'm a little worried that they're not gremlin enough <laughs> for this show. But uh, the trailer looked okay. 
So uh, I'll, I'll definitely give that a pass if we... I thought um, everyone fit from watching the, the trailer. I thought it was really cool. Right. I enjoyed them in the Sailor Moon musical, so I'm mm. excited to see how they hold up in something like this. Right, yeah. In the um, the promotional poster, they had them doing the poses from the Easy Breezy opening. Mm-hmm. So between that and seeing the references and the actual music video for the song, uh, I like the fact that Aizoken sort of bled over... You know, this anime is bled over into the various other works as here um let's go ahead and do our favorite scene before we get into questions so uh edwin why don't you go first what was your favorite scene of the series definitely when they were in the robot clubs discussions and when asakusa and misuzaki were crying because one of them was had an existential issue and the other one just wanted to do a hadoken <laughs> it's so ridiculous so someone on Twitter animated like a little scene of her in bed, like trying to do Hadouken and crying. Oh, I love that! <laughs> it's, just, it's so great, <laughs> so relatable. Uh, Tori, what was your favorite scene of this, the series? Um, I have quite a few, and I'm gonna cheat. So, bathhouse, uh, <laughs> cardboard robot shenanigans. I, I mean, y'all told me yep. my favorite scene. That would have been my second choice. <laughs> Um, but most of all, the very last episode where they go to watch their anime, Asakusa's covered up in her little blanket nest with her bunny, and then it's over and she's asleep, because <laughs> that's the real big mood. <laughs> yeah, the beginning episode to the end episode's my favorite scene. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I like the, uh, the, the cardboard robot scene, specifically where the, um, the, the club president is, <laughs> he's on fire and he's blasting out yes. the, uh, that anime <laughs> that robot anime opening as he's running and like it shows a picture of inside the helmet and he's sweating and gross and he's just on fire because this is his day mm-hmm. <laughs> all right Sully, what was your one favorite scene from this this tv series i have to go with what everyone else is saying which is the robots but i'd also say i really enjoyed uh kanamori's backstory i don't know why that sticks with me so much uh mm-hmm. I don't know why. I guess that one is my favorite just because it allowed us to understand more about her and just, you know, kind of that heartbreaking scene where the her aunt and uncle are kind of explaining why the store is not going to stay open very much longer and when um, they give her the things to sell and it kind of sets her on her journey to be who she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, any scene when they're all together, too, just... just hanging out like when they go out to eat at the different restaurants or uh like the one where they go to like the fruit ramen i thought that was a really interesting scene um and they you know start getting recognized by people for their work i i just find their interactions when it's just them talking about what their next move is going to be to be so much of a joy to watch Mm -hmm. exactly and i think for myself (laughs) there's so many great scenes in this but I think the one that really will stick with me for a long time is this is every scene really 
where she learns to throw mm. the tea out of the cup. And they reference that a couple times, both uh, in the beginning when we show her, and she just like splashes the tea right onto the floor. <laughs> it maybe travels a couple of inches away from the cup. Yes. <laughs> like, no, no, honey, do it like this. And uh, the part where she replicates that in the robot anime, uh, it's just kind of a little scene there. And that was just such a nice, a nice visual touch that kind of, is the, serves as the prelude to her her arc, and I think sort of to build on what Sully said, each one of the girls' um, childhood arcs or little scenes has a lot to say about their characters, and it makes them all stand out. Whether it's uh, you know Azaka's um, you know the intro where she's uh, you know in a very in a scene reminiscent of Spirited Away is coming to her new home, uh, whether it's um, uh, Tsubame learning how to how people move. Or whether it's Kanamori coming to terms with reality and this stark, uh, you know, adulthood through the world of, of money and financial burden, it really shows how these characters come into being and how they have matured into the young women they are, and sort of serves as this guidepost into who they're going to become because they've met each other and because they contributed to this project together. Mm-hmm. Okay, so wrap up here with our audience questions. Uh, the first one comes with our own Kanemori, Kanemori Shi himself, uh, Bill, uh, asking about the manga with the announcement that Dark Horse picked it up. Do you think you'll be giving that a read? And I think I speak for everyone that, Bill, that was a very silly question. <laughs> um, I will say most definitely because I think there are a lot of visuals in there that are going to work really well in manga form, so I am absolutely excited to see that and read it. Yeah, so um, uh, Awara had done a few of the frames throughout the show, some of the ending animation, uh, one or two of the end card illustrations. You know, if, you're, if you're watching the show, don't skip the end credits, because the end we see from many creators, they've done a little piece of fan art. Yes, for the last episode. And I think one of, um, one of the ones that are admittedly as well and if you think Midori is a gremlin in the anime, you should see the way he draws her. He's <laughs> very much more. Uh, but yeah, no, I, I completely agree that if we don't get more anime, I definitely will be following this to the end in manga form for sure. Izo mm-hmm. uh, can really resonate with me in a way that I wasn't expecting. Um, when they first announced they were going to be adapting this, I I knew I was going to watch it because it was a Yuasa thing, because it's a science Saru thing. But I really wasn't that into it, seeing the first few preview images. Uh, but I'm glad that it turned out as amazing as it has been. So uh, like I kind of mentioned at the beginning, I think Azoken is a very strong contender for best of 2020 in the first season. So we will have to see um, you know, how that pans out in the long term. And then our next set of questions comes from Basil Hime. At it's Basil time on Twitter. Uh, number one, who is your favorite gremlin? Edwin, which one's your favorite? Actually, I'll go with Misuzaki. Misuzaki. All right, Tori. Asakusa. Sully. Kanamori. And I'm gonna go with the teacher. <laughs> <laughs> so there's no consensus. You did not want to be the tiebreaker. The man who is burdened with a heavy beard of responsibility. <laughs> and video games. And sitting in his car and playing <laughs> Game Boy. 
<laughs> I really like the uh, the student council too. Like they're the they're the villains, but there was like the little girl with pigtails that she's more bark than bite. Mm-hmm. And then you've got um, uh, the actual black girl that is sort of Kanamori's rival uh, to some degree. There's the scene where they're talking about going to uh, going to Kamika and how they're not allowed. And Kanamori is sitting back, like she's got her like her knees spread, like she's looking back, like she gives like no fucks, but neither does that student council. I think it was the vice president, so she's kind of looking back too, and they're not even looking at each other but arguing, mm-hmm. and that's just damn. That's a power move from from both characters. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right, so uh, Basil number two. How much do you think the anime is actually just science so high? Well, I think a lot of creators tend to create from what they know. So I would not be surprised at all if Yuasa himself was this way or anybody else on the production team were up to these silly, I just want to draw pictures and be a fool shenanigans um, while they were in high school. I actually got... Maybe not science hour high, but I got hints of Gainax high. Okay. Yeah, because, you know, with Daikon, like, just mm-hmm. being a culmination of, like, a passion project, and that's exactly right. what Izokin Club also did. It was all passion. I think the source material here, since it's all about creativity and, and being an artist, it's very easy, I feel like, to really anybody in that field to really resonate with this. Mm-hmm. So I could certainly see you've got the original creator, someone that's watched a lot of anime in his youth, has really been inspired by anime as itself, less so much the the, the crust and the culture that comes with that. Um, you know, breathing life into these characters, and then you know, Sayasaru and these creators that have been in this industry for a while. You know, you look at Yuasa's back catalog, and it is very varied. You go back to the early stuff, which looks very cartoony, and then we have stuff like Devilman Crybaby. Very tonally different. Uh, it just seems like a really fertile um, playground for really anybody to work in, you know, into this. And I, it was really inspiring to me to see a lot of the in-card illustrations, to see a bunch of people also inspired by this show, uh, one of which was done by the mangaka for um, Girls Last Tour. Mm-hmm. I think episode four or five or so. So to see these creators that I know show their appreciation for the show, you know, whatever way they could, uh, was was definitely inspiring. Okay, so question number three. It feels like the anime really focuses on a bygone era where everything is really thought through mechanically with the crazy ideas that just might work. Uh, did you miss it? And I imagine that by miss it, you mean like miss maybe that nostalgia of... Uh, of your youth? Mm, I I personally don't really care. I know that's a blasphemous statement, but I'm not one to rely on nostalgia. Um, I'm more of a person who will go back and watch things that I really enjoyed when I was younger just to see if they hold up, and if they don't, that's okay. People's tastes change it. People's tastes will change as they grow older or go through different life experiences, and there's definitely things that I would watch back in high school that I would be very embarrassed to admit that I watched and enjoyed at that time, um, and that's cool, and that's okay, and um, I, I guess what I get nostalgia for, I miss when things were animated and drawn by hand. 
Um, and seeing, like, Disney not do that anymore, like, Princess and the Frog was their last 2D animated film. Everything's gone to CG production where, you know, the main character looks the same over and over and over and it's probably voiced by Tom Holland. Um, but <laughs> there's just something that is captured, I think, when animation is done in that 2D space by hand that cannot really ever be encapsulated in a 3D CG project. And I think that maybe is what I miss. I I just love seeing how people can capture such realistic emotion and facial expressions and movement just using their hand and a pencil. <laughs> right. I like the, when a lot of those imagination scenes where the, the characters really put thought into how this works and why this works. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was a really cool uh, almost rejection of that when she's uh, when they're repairing the the roof or something mm -hmm. and she's like, "Well, how does this work?" Oscar, this is my this is my fantasy. Yeah. <laughs> it works. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. All right. Uh, question 4, what was your favorite gag? I think we talked about a lot of the gags and the individual uh, comedic scenes earlier. And uh, question number five, if you could join any one of the clubs at this high school, which one would it be? Student council. That's a very smart move, Edwin. You think you would qualify? No fun allowed. No fun allowed. <laughs> there we go. See, I'm in. <laughs> Sully, what were you going to say? Uh, this is a very bold assumption that I would ever, under any circumstances, want to go back to high school um, in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I don't know. Like, I would... I, I'm not going to say the Azoken because uh, I have no talent. I can not draw to save my life. Um, I wouldn't do the Robot Club because I don't really... I mean, I like some mecha things. Um, what was that amoeba club? I guess I'll just take any person. I'll go with them. I mean, I just want to know what the hell they're about. I mean, okay, electric magnetic amoeba... Now, walk, walk me through Or this. the Tofu Club. I mean... Sure, why not? <laughs> I couldn't remember if that was the same club as the Carbohydrates Club or not, <laughs> but I want to join the Carb Club. Let's see pasta. They make there. sourdough. If there was anything that described my high school years, it was definitely carbohydrates. <laughs> Despite being super introverted throughout most of my life, like in school, I actually was a part of student council. I was in band. I did theater for a little while. I was in the anime slash video game club. I was in the art club. Mm. Um, but all of that aside, I think I would want probably to be in the film club, not necessarily making them, but maybe helping with the production or like a film analysis club or sometimes in anime, you'll see like the paranormal slash mystery investigation club. That's what I would be doing. I think they do take a dig at the idea of an anime club in the show. Oh, God. And I think it's, all of us have been in some sort of anime club to some degree in our youth. I don't necessarily regret those days, but I do wish there had been more research <laughs> into things and more actual art appreciation mm -hmm. in, in anime clubs rather than, you know, everything else. Their advisor actually reminds me a lot of my high school anime slash video game club advisor, like, almost to a T. He was like... I don't want to be here, but I'll show up so you kids can have fun. <laughs> no fun allowed. Okay. So we have any other final thoughts we want to talk about Azokan before we wrap up? Go watch it. Yeah. Just just go see it. Like, you have no excuse. Completely agree. We're, I think this is almost it's sort of the most unanimous 
uh, agreement we've had about a, a thing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think this is probably the closest we've come to agreement about a thing in a long time. I do want to mention there was one picture I saw online that it was Domeki that was in the the comic kit recording like the surroundings, and I'm just picturing Domeki just recording weaves and re-listening to them and just hating herself. <laughs> Die, 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 die. 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 <laughs> Let me record nature again. Yeah. Purify my thoughts. Well, uh, that wraps up our episode on Keep Your Hands Off a Zoken. Uh, thank you guys for listening. And I want to thank my uh, uh, fellow podcasters here for participating. Anytime. I'm very glad you guys enjoyed it just as much as I did. So, uh, so let's go to do individual sign-offs here. Uh, Edwin, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me on at Midshelf Gaming. Is there a, a YouTube channel for that as well? YouTube, just Google Midshelf Gaming. We're not big enough to have our own URL yet, but we're getting there. I think uh, I think I think your channel is the one with sixty-nine uh, subscribers. Nice. Okay, Tori, where can people find you on the internet? I am over at Worst Waifu on Twitter, screaming about my Animal Crossing fish capades when I should have been giving my full and undivided dying attention to this. (sighs) (laughs) I contributed. (laughs) (laughs) Sully, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, You can also find me on Twitter at Calvacun, that is C-A-L-V-A underscore K-U-N. Uh, where I'm mostly just, I don't know anymore. Twitter stresses me out. I'm just straight vibing. (laughs) I really like saying that. I don't know what it means. I just really like to say it. Look, I'm just straight vibing. So (laughs) that's what I'm doing on Twitter, I guess. I'm glad I'm not the only person sort of confused but intrigued by that phrase. I love it. I'm just vibing. It's what what the kids say now. Who knows, man? And, uh, well, I likewise am on uh, the Twitter website. Uh, at Reverend underscore Tobias. Uh, I mostly just post trash, so whatever. As far as uh, our main project, Third Impact Anime, we have a couple different venues to uh, subscribe to us and check us out and support us. So our main website is thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, that is sort of a, a blog where we have articles as well as we post links to all of our episodes and convention reports. So that is sort of our hub for our materials there. Again, thirdimpactanime.com. Uh, you can find our podcast, however you listening to this podcast. But we also have links through uh, iTunes and Podbean and Google Play. So you have all options and alternatives there. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at T-I, as in Third Impact, underscore anime, as in Japanese animation. <laughs> not for kids. Not for not kids stuff, straight from Japan. If, uh, if you really like what we do and want to support us in a more concrete manner, this is where we bring out the Kanemori and all of us, uh, we have both a Patreon and a Kofi page uh, that we, I'm sure we will link in the show notes below. So whether you want to maybe give us just a couple bucks uh, so we can drink some coffee while we edit the show, or if you want to give us a you know a little bit of money every month to help fund our endeavors, feel free to do that. Uh, if you want to support us even more, you can shoot us an email at uh, what is it? Third Impact Anime at Gmail dot com. 
with your with the 10 digits on the front of your credit card, the three digits on the back, as well as the expiration date, uh, we would appreciate those numbers as well. Well, I want to thank you guys for listening to our show, and you have a great day. Go, leave. But stay <laughs> six feet apart at all times. Thank you. Oh, no.